At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. It is an absolute pleasure for me uh, to be back here with you this morning. Um, I actually, the past couple weeks, wasn't able to be here in, in God's house. I was uh, actually diagnosed uh, positive with the coronavirus two weekends ago, so uh, that's a little over two weeks. Um, and not to make light of the, the pandemic that we find ourselves in. I know there's a lot of you uh, watching from home because of this reason, but at my house it hit fairly lightly. It was one kind of mildly inconvenient day, and I was pretty much over it. But anyway, still had to quarantine for two weeks. So I've been watching online uh, at home and as much as I know, there's a lot of you out there that are doing the same. It's just not the same, right? It's, it's so much, uh, there's so much more to being here in the house of God. So I understand if that's the reason why you're at home. If it's not, come on back. Like, stop, stop being cozy on the couch. Like, let, let's have you back. But regardless, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be back here with you. So excited to be back here this week and to be uh, sharing the word of God with you. Um, if you don't know me, if we haven't had the opportunity to, uh, to meet, my name is Ben Orr, and I am the student ministries director here at our Woodside Romeo campus. It's uh, a job that um, I don't take lightly, but is also a very lighthearted job. I mean, I think we can all uh, safely say that, that I get to have fun with your middle schooler and high schoolers uh, most weeks. But um, regardless, it's a job that I, I am absolutely blessed uh, by God to be a part of and, and have the opportunity to do. And I want to thank you as our church body for, for supporting me and my family in this role in this season. If you have your Bibles with you, would you uh, open with me to 1 John chapter 4, whether you have an actual paper Bible or your device. 1 John chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. Um, if you've been here the past few weeks, if you've been here in the year 2021, uh, you would know that we're in the middle of our series called The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again. Learning to love again. I'm going to put a little more emphasis on that word love because that's the, the culmination of this series that we're in uh, over the course of these six weeks. And love is kind of something that... Uh, it's at a premium, right, in our culture today. I mean, yeah, you probably experience love among your family, among your church body, I would hope. Uh, you maybe experience some compassion and love from a neighbor or, or even maybe a stranger at times. But when we look at the broad spectrum, when we look at the horizon of our culture, love is not something we see a whole lot of, is it? And so this morning, we're going to be diving in on our uh, forgotten virtue, the forgotten virtue of love. So a few years ago, uh, Billboard magazine put together its uh, top 50 love songs of all time. It's top 50 love songs. They tabulated the rankings of their own weekly Billboard Hot 100 chart over the course of seven decades to come up with their list. And what started with, it goes as far back as 1958 with To Know Him Is To Love Him by the Teddy Bears. It flowed through the popular musical styles of today, anywhere from uh, movie soundtracks to club mixes and everywhere in between. Artists such as the Everly Brothers, the Beatles, uh, Tina Turner, Huey Lewis and the News, Mariah Carey, uh, Taylor Swift, just to name a few of these artists all made the list. And Billboard's research determined that the most popular song that contained love in the title, the most popular song of all time, was a 1980s ballad called Endless Love by Lionel Richie and Diana Rossi. Yeah, I heard one of you out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
date some of you in here, and I apologize. I'm a 90s boy. I'm a 90s baby, so this doesn't hit super hard with me. It's pre my life, but regardless, I'm sure some of you absolutely love that song. And for good reason, right? The song sat atop the Billboard charts for nine consecutive weeks. So clearly it struck a chord in the hearts of Americans. And this was Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. This song was, was to, to discuss, was to show their love that started and ended with their romantic relationship. Now, this is the type of love that's most often written about, that's most often sung about, and most often talked about in our culture today, and it's that romantic love. But is this the sort of love that's most important to the souls of men, women, and children? Is this the love that we've been hearing from God's word about over these last few weeks? Is this the love that John writes about in his letter to the early Christian church, which at the time had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire after the destruction of Jerusalem roughly two, de two decades earlier? I think we can safely say no, this is not that same type of love. You see, the church at the time, it was in a fractured state. The, the followers of Christ at the time of the writing of this letter, they had already, less than 50 years after the ascension of Jesus, less than half of a century after Jesus' ascension into heaven, they had already started to lose their way. They began conforming to the worldly standards, listening to false teachings, and their, their faith was beginning to waver. And then in steps John. The disciple whom Jesus loved, he actually calls himself that. Church, I'm going to pause right there. That takes some confidence. That takes a level of like, no, you got to know that. Like, you can't just say that about yourself. Like, no, I'm, I'm my, my mom's favorite kid. Like, you can't just say that. Like, you can't without knowing that. You have to actually know that. And so that combined with John's other writings in the Bible, apart from his gospel where he addresses himself as that, that combined with his other writings in the gospel, he talks a lot about love and the, the idea of love. And so I think we can safely call John the apostle. We can call him an expert on the topic of love. And so we're going to operate under those terms. So in steps John, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, John pens this letter in an effort to, to start to right the ship of the Christian faith movement. And within this letter, within this letter of 1 John, we find the truth of love. We find that romanticism and sexuality and things of that sort, they're not, in fact, love. The love that two human beings feel for each other within their own power, by their own power, pales in comparison to the true definition of love. Because we'll see here this morning that God is love. God is love. Now this can be a difficult concept for some. Because I'm sure we all have people and things that we love that, that don't seem to relate at all to our love for and our love from God. But let's jump into our passage this morning to understand better what God is speaking through his words. Uh, let's read together. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So John takes a hard stance on the fact that true love is found only in God because true love only pours out from God. 
And here is where we're going to discuss three truths to help us understand better what true love really looks like and how we can embrace and know that genuine love. And our first truth is this. Our first truth is that love begins with the Father. Love begins with the Father. In this specific letter, John has already mentioned the subject of love quite a few times. We see his acknowledgement of love derived from God in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. We saw it in chapter 3, verse 11 through 18, and verse 23. But right here in our passage, right here in chapter 4, we see from the very start that John begins an in-depth explanation of the subject that will guide us into a deeper understanding of where love finds its beginning. And within the first two verses, within verses 7 and 8, which is where I want to just kind of hover for the next couple minutes, in verse 7 and 8, we're going to find two specific words or phrases that stand above the others in understanding uh, uh, what that really means. And so the first of these is beloved. The very first word of our passage, beloved. John begins with the term specifically indicating those who are in Christ or those who have been born again. The person who has been born from God has fellowship with God, which puts them in contrast to the Gnostics of the time. The Gnostics were those who believed that an individual could experience a spiritual awakening apart from the work of Christ on the cross. So John emphasizes that by God's grace, through salvation found only in Jesus, believers are now empowered to love by the Spirit of God who dwells within the believer. We see John declaring that love is the foundational posture of the hearts of believers because love is the divine nature of God himself. And the second of these two terms, so we had beloved. The next of these is uh, uh, it's God is love. That's our second term. And it's kind of bookending our first two verses, right? We have the very beginning of verse 7 and then the very end of verse 8. It's God is love. You see, God loves both his people and his creation with a perfect love. And one that acknowledges his very being as love. The apostle isn't simply making a statement about a, a quality or an attribute that God possesses. And because he is love, God's love radiates from himself. And the proof of this is Jesus. You see, love was made manifest in our world. The, the intangible concept of love, the, the invisible idea of love became tangible and it became visible. And this phrase, God is love, this is a phrase that children are taught within the church from a very young age. It's something that Christian parents teach and kids' ministry teams affirm throughout a child's formative years. But as children grow up and experience more of life in this fallen, broken world, that teaching then starts to become into question. In fact, this simple phrase, God is love, often becomes a stumbling block for many who have been hurt by the lack of love in our world. We've all heard these questions asked, haven't we? Perhaps many of us have even asked these questions ourselves in times of hurt, in times of heartache, in times of stress. These questions look like, how can God really love me? How could God really love anyone when he allows these things to happen? But this is why John speaks directly to the believer here in verses 7 and 8, clarifying a different way for believers. Our lives with each other in community, our lives are to be marked by love because God first loved us. Political journalists who cover the, the president of the United States um, use a lot of different terms when speaking about the leader of the free world. Commonly, the press will reference the actual uh, person preceded by the title. So, President Biden, President Trump, President Obama, President Bush. 
Other times, they'll reference a, a title of phrase which speaks to the presidential role without actually naming the individual. So terms like commander-in-chief or Mr. President or the acronym POTUS. And still other times, the press uses an, entire, an entity that represents the president in the hearts and minds of the American people. Or phrases like the Oval Office or, or um, uh, the, the White House, which communicate what's happening from our nation's capital. But none of these titles, acronyms, or synonyms fully represent the person, the person serving in the high-ranking office. They're merely shadowy ways of describing the position. But we see here in our text that the Apostle John does the exact opposite. He addresses, when talking on the subject of love, he points directly to love's source, which is God. And he declares, God is love. And unlike political writing, the terms are not interchangeable. You see, God is love, but love is not necessarily God. What's important for us to remember about this portion of the text is that John is writing to a group of people. He's writing to the, the, the church of the time. He's writing to a group of people who had turned away from the theological errors of Gnosticism and Docetism and other things of the time, yet he feels compelled to call them to a focus on love. Church, do we feel like this is something that we've checked the box on? Do we feel like this is something that we've, we don't need to worry about this anymore, we've got this covered? Or is this, thousands of years later, still should be a primary focus of our walk with Christ? You see, we have more Bibles, we have more theological writings, we have more, more uh, faith-based books, and we have more resources than at any point in the history of Christianity. And while it's debatable if all of this resourcing has improved our doctrine at all, the call for followers of Christ to love each other well remains central to living out our faith. Church, I don't want to just gloss over this point. I want, I want this to stick with you. So much so that this was actually one of the last teachings that Jesus gave to his disciples in the final hours before he was sent to be executed. Look with me at John's gospel now. John 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, that's three times in two sentences. Do you think Jesus made an emphasis here? Do you think he was trying to put a little exclamation point on the end there? Do we think this is something that Jesus found importance in? And this is why we encourage all believers to experience Christian community in small groups. Here at Woodside, we call them our life groups, and it's so that we can practice our love for other members of our faith family, so that believers can experience the love of God through the encouraging words, through the warm embrace, through the loving, tangible actions of a fellow believer. This leads me to our second truth to help us understand and experience genuine love. We've seen that love begins with the Father. Now, let's look at the truth that love is personified in the Son. Love is personified in the Son. Let's look back at our text, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Church, the Son of God is the visible representation of God's love for his people. He sent his son to our world and he did so to redeem a sinful people who turned our back on God through our own sins. Furthermore, John highlights Jesus as his only son. And he does so to communicate the unique position that Jesus held above all other beings. 
Jesus, the Son of God, is one of a kind. There is no other being or person in existence like him. The apostle makes it clear that God is intentionally sending the Son. He is sending his one and only so that sinners might have life. By expressing the actual sending, John reveals to us the magnitude of God's selfless, sacrificial love for those whom he created. Ben Witherington III, a New Testament scholar, writes this. He says, The sort of love predicated of God is not any mere human love, certainly not any sort of narcissistic, self-directed love, search for personal fulfillment, or expression of strong personal desires. No, to say God is love is to say that God is the most self-sacrificial being in the universe. And as such, he was prepared to go to incredible lengths to set humankind right. The writers of the New Testament would clearly have nothing to do with any attempts to define God on the basis of merely human notions of love, or worse still, to define love as our God. For Christians, God is the very definition of self-sacrificial love and what it truly means. The ultimate picture of love for humanity is the Father's sending of the Son to redeem us. This had to take place because sin had created an uncrossable chasm between a holy, righteous God and a sinful people. An atoning sacrifice, a, a, a product to, to pay the penalty for sin was required. We needed that atonement. The Old Testament highlights an intricate system of sacrifices that God provided for the purpose of atonement. Leviticus 17.11 tells us, for the life of flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. But when we look at the New Testament, we see that the New Testament outlines the new covenant of Jesus whose sacrificial death on the cross serves as the atonement. So we don't have to be making those sacrifices anymore. Romans 5.11 says, more than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Similarly, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might be the righteousness of God. And lastly, in that same letter to the church at Corinth, down just a few chapters to chapter 9 and verse 15, it says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Church, some of the best examples of sacrificial love in our culture today likely come from those, those people who have modeled sacrificial love through medical procedures. I have a, a family member who in his early 20s had an aggressive disease that I'm not going to share with you the disease. I can't pronounce it. I can't even spell it. It's not even in my notes. Um, but uh, this disease, uh, it spread and it moved into and infected his kidneys. His only real hope for survival was maintaining at least one healthy functioning kidney. And like all transplant donor, like all transplant patients, excuse me, my uncle needed a matching donor. A test revealed that his mother, my grandmother, fit the requisites. And so through a painful process, a mother gave new life to her son through a sacrifice of love. Now this story it touches me to this day, even as I tell it to you this morning, because it truly takes an unwavering, unconditional love for another person to sacrifice in such a way. But as moving, moving as stories like my family's may be, there are thousands of others, these accounts cannot even begin to hold a candle to the loving sacrifice made by Jesus on that hill called Golgotha more than two millennia ago. 
And because we, as fallen human beings, can never provide a gift like the one God provided in Jesus, the only real way for us to apply this portion of 1 John is to respond to the call of the gospel in our own hearts and minds. So how do we do that? What can that look like? Well, the first thing that we need to do is we need to admit that we're sinners, right? We need to admit that there's a problem, don't we? That's the first step in changing anything in life, isn't it? Admit that there's a problem. We need to recognize the distance that stands between the God of the universe, the holy God, and us because of the sin that has stained us that now falls on our own account. Next, we need to recognize that God provided for our atonement. God made a way out. He created an escape plan for our imminent and assured destruction that sin has entangled us in. God provided for our atonement by sending his one and only son to pay the penalty that our actions, that our good works, and that our worldly gains could never pay. Third, we need to see that Jesus gives us a way to experience new life. Because Jesus lived a perfect life. He sacrificed his life on the cross. And he was raised to life. Because of these things, you can have life. And I don't just mean life in the way you have it now. I don't just mean life in this broken, fallen world. I don't just mean a life of hurt and depression and anxiety and all of the struggles that we deal with. No, I'm talking about life to the full. I'm talking about life everlasting, life in community with the Father. Life the way that God had originally designed it. And our fourth and final step is that we must respond when we repent of our sin, when we turn away from our life of sin, when we put that sin at our backs and turn to face the glory of Jesus, when we place our faith in his atoning work that he accomplished by stepping in and interceding for us, when we confess Jesus as our Lord, placing our faith in his life, death, and resurrection, church, we are made new. We are born of God, just as John writes about here in our passage in verse 7. And this brings me to our our final truth in helping us understand and experience genuine love. So we've seen that love begins in the Father. Love is personified in the Son. And lastly, love is perfected through the Spirit. Love is perfected through the Spirit. Let's look back at our text, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Similar to the ways of a trial lawyer, John wraps up his treatise on love with a strong closing argument. Because of God's great love for us as followers of his ways, we are called to love one another. This this is the culmination of all that he has communicated on the topic. God's love is both the reason for us to love others and the resource by which we can love others. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who now dwells within the believer because of the sacrifice of Jesus, believers are now empowered to love. This is why the context to whom John is writing is so important. You see, in the face of Gnostic and Docetic heresy, John now calls the believer to a faith that reveals itself in loving action. God, who is love, dwells within the Holy Spirit. And therefore, God's love flows through us to each other. And through our faithful love for one another, our love for God now becomes evident. 
Just a couple of months back, the church had received a phone call just during the middle of the workday. Um, our admin, Lauren, she took the call and, and, and forwarded it over to me. I quickly found out that the, the call was coming from a man who was moving to this area from out of state for work. And he was just calling to see if there were any, maybe any like high schoolers that would be willing to come and, and help him move he and his family into their new home. I told him I would, I would follow up and I would, I would uh, shoot a text to the high schooler, see if I could find any, any boys that were willing to go help him out. As soon as I sent the text, I immediately got six replies of, yeah, of course, I'll help. What day do you need it? What time is it? Is there going to be pizza? I mean, they're high schoolers. Give them a break. I'm kidding. That, that actually didn't happen. They were very generous. <laughs> but after helping the family unload the truck, the man told me that he and his family had already found their church home here at Woodside Romeo before ever having even attended here because of the love and generosity of those high school boys. According to John, no one has ever seen God. And yet, through sacrificial acts of love, the world should be able to see God at work. Church, this should be on display in the lives of Christ followers when a non-believer comes walking through those doors. And you know what? I'll take that one step further and say, this should be on display in the lives of Christ followers when a non-believer walks into our homes, when a non-believer works in the cubicle next to us, when a non-believer has kids who are friends with our kids. Church, the manner in which believers are called to love others serves as our visual witness to the world. Is that what others see when they come into the doors of Woodside Romeo? Do they see the love of Jesus expressed through his people? They should, because love is the ultimate apologetic. This is how, this is how people are, are gathered to, to come to Christ. This is how you find a way to reach people for the glory of God. Three times in today's passage, the apostle John urges followers of Jesus to love one another. Verse 7, 11, and 12. As, we, as we've seen, this is not some abstract concept of emotional feeling for people to practice. No, love is rooted in the foundation of who God is. Love can't be fueled by human energy or human emotion. It's not something that we can stir up from deep within our souls. We can't wish it into existence. Love has a source, and that source is God. James Montgomery Boyce writes, God the Father is love. God the Son is love. God the Spirit is love. Therefore, if we know the God who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will love. It's difficult to see how the matter could be made simpler than this or more pressing upon the conscience of the Christ follower. God desires that his people put into practice what he modeled for us, sacrificial love for one another. Does that sound like your life? Are you loving are you experiencing the love of God, the Father, the only one who is the true definition of love? Are you dying to yourself in a matter that represents and embodies Jesus, the Son? And are you loving others in the way that the Holy Spirit empowers you and pushes you and presses you to do so? Church, this is what living out the first fruit of the Spirit looks like. This is what living the great commandment and the great commission both look like. This is the way the believers were always meant to live. This is what the church was meant to be. Does that sound like the Woodside Romeo to you? Does that sound like the church as a whole to you? 
If you honestly can't answer yes to that question, then church, the the problem isn't in the sign out front, the name on the sign out front. The problem isn't in the greater church. The problem isn't outside those doors. The problem is here. The problem is now. The problem is in your heart. It's in my heart. It's in every single one of you. And there's only one way to change it, and that's to admit that there's a problem. Are you loving like the one who is the true definition of love? Are you loving like the one who loved you unconditionally and gave himself up for you when you never deserved that love in the first place? Would you pray with me? Dear God, your love, your love is, just, is unimaginable. Your love cannot be equated to anything. God, you, you are the, the, the basis by which we stand on when we love others. And God, I pray that we would, we would do so. I pray that we would act on that love. God, I pray that in this place, in this church, in this worship center, that you would be speaking through the Holy Spirit to those in here, that they would be empowered, just as John was, to continue pushing forward with this concept of loving individuals and loving others outside of ourselves. God, I pray pray that if there's anyone in here this morning that, that you're speaking to directly and they can hear you and are acknowledging you, that they would do business with you while this final song plays that they wouldn't be ashamed to speak and and be spoken to by you, that they would come to know the true love that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God, as we sing this final song and as we leave here this morning, I pray that this church, the Church of Woodside Romeo, the Church of Woodside collectively, the Church capital C, the greater church, would be empowered to show your love to a community and to a country and to a world that desperately needs it. God, I pray that you would make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.